That'd be good. Uh, I'm going to be in 1 Thessalonians. You can follow along in, in your Bible, uh, 1 Thessalonians. If it were anybody but Wacy, I probably wouldn't have drawn attention to it, but I, I, I don't know why I felt the need to, to embarrass anyone. Uh, I'm going to be in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, it, it's kind of a hard book to find uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with it. So uh, just to let you know, it's in the New Testament, and it's almost dead middle of the New Testament. So if you get into the Timothys, you've gone too far. If you're in Romans, go to the right some more, but uh, it's kind of between those two. Um, when uh, the the elders were uh, um, uh, uh, ch- checking me out, uh, interviewing me, they did their due diligence. They did the background checks. They kind of they did everything. But one thing that they didn't find, and I just after a year and some change of, of being here, I feel like I should disclose to you all is that they didn't really pull up my report cards from high school, um, and and they didn't check my grades from from high school. Uh, and and this may be a surprise to you. I don't. I feel just compelled to confess uh, this that that I I did not have great grades in high school, specifically ninth grade. For some reason. Like education wasn't important to me, and there's all kind of reasons I guess I could get into, but but I just failed a lot. I failed ninth grade English the entire year. Let me tell you how bad it was. It was almost a sport with how bad I did in ninth grade English. The English teacher was amazing, Mrs. Sweebeck. If anybody, I don't even know her first name, but if anybody knows who she is, she's an amazing teacher. I did not give her the, the credit uh, that she deserves. One of my report cards in ninth grade English uh, is is written down for the six weeks on my report card a thirteen. A one three to be to be specific, not a three zero, which would have been just more than double what it actually was, but a thirteen. And and uh, you don't come back from a thirteen. I don't know if you know that. If you're in high school, just know, uh, just just get ready. You're going to be back in that cl- that grade again or that class again. So I failed ninth grade English. Now, but I'm pretty good at English. If I had to be honest with you, it's my it's my favorite subject. It's one that I'm the strongest. I'm much stronger in English than I'm in math. But for some reason, I just wouldn't do my work. I didn't turn things in. I didn't even try to get a thirteen. Is just it takes a different kind of, of effort. And so uh, needless to say, I failed ninth grade English class, but they moved me up into 10th grade. And, and the solution was I would have had like a free period, but now I have to take both 10th grade English and ninth grade English at the same time. I ended up back, I had two English classes in 10th grade. Uh, in my 10th grade English class, I was doing fine. I was making all A's, but my ninth grade English teacher turned out to be the exact same teacher that I had failed last year. And Mrs. Sweetback, she brings me in and she, she knows, as any good teacher does, um, if you're an educator, there's a difference between the, the quality of the student and the ability of the student and the performance of the student. Those are separate categories. And what she saw in me was something that I didn't even see in myself. What she saw in me was ability uh, and not a care in the world about performance. So what she had to do as a good teacher would, she had to figure out how to bring out the best in me when I didn't care to bring out the best in myself. And so what Mrs. Sweetbeck did is Mrs. Sweetbeck had me teach ninth grade English class. I'd already gone through ninth grade. Uh, and now I'm in 10th grade English class, but I'm teaching 9th graders 9th grade English class as a 10th grader. It's my first experience teaching at all. I taught Romeo and Juliet. I taught uh, verb uh, agreement, subject verb agreement. I had to teach all the grammar rules, and it was my first experience ever teaching anybody. I don't, I don't know, uh, and I, I still am kind of addicted to this rush of, like, when you teach something, uh, and this is true if, you, if you're just a, you know, if you're an employer and you're training someone. If you're an educator, this is true. This is certainly true from from the ministry side. When you're teaching someone and you see that light bulb click off for the first time, it's like whoa! 
That's cool. I want more of that in, in my life. And Mrs. Sweetback saw that I had this potential. And I uh, had nearly 100 in ninth grade English the second time around uh, because she graded me not on my ability to take a test. She graded me on what I was able to put forth. And here's the truth. When, if you ask me, like, Jesse, how did you teach? Like, where did you even learn how to teach? You're only in 10th grade. Well, I learned because I watched, I watched Ms. Sweetback. Like, I just copied her. She was a great teacher. All I had to do was copy what she was already doing uh, to bring out the best in other students. And there's a truth about when you're in a moment of uh, underperformance, you're in a moment where you don't know what to do, how do you put on your best face? How do you do the thing that you're supposed to do in that moment? Is it not true that we, we tend to think of, like, what person do I know in my history would be capable of handling that, who was really good at handling that, and don't we just copy them, right? We, I don't know about you, but I almost, like, pretend to be that person. I put, I, maybe even I changed my, my voice, my cadence, and I can't talk like a woman, but I could, I could emphasize the same words that she emphasized. I could make the same joke in the same part of Romeo and Juliet that she made, right? Uh, in those moments of teaching, all I did was copy her, we're always copying people. We're copying those who came before us, and people are copying us. Whether we like it or not, we're setting an example for other people, but we're also following the example of people who came before us. And this is no different than inside the church. We're going to look at a passage in First Thessalonians about being imitators of others, but also being examples for this other group. And uh, I'm just going to kind of put the, you know, the lesson on the bottom shelf. You don't get to choose whether or not you're copying people. Uh, it, it's, it just is. And you don't get to choose whether or not you're being an example to other people. It just is. What you do get to choose is what things are you copying and what things are you setting an example of. We're, we're in week four of the series. We're, we're kind of working up through these tune-ups of the gospel. And it, it, it came to be a series out of just having conversations with people. Conversations are like, how can I make my faith make sense? How I'm, I'm in a plateau. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm feeling dry. How can I, how can I be a stronger follower of Jesus? And it seems to be that we just need to be reminded of basic truths more than we need to be, you know, looking for the next new thing. We don't need God to teach us a brand new thing we've never heard before. We just need to be reminded and obedient to the things we already knew we were supposed to do and maybe kind of grab that passion back up. Like I did in ninth grade. I just, I just went ninth grade again and, and did that. So uh, in week one of the series, we, we just looked at the gospel, just the real nuts and bolts of the gospel. There is sin in the world. Sin has a consequence. There is a payment demanded of sin. And the gospel says that Jesus chooses to make the payment instead of requiring the payment to come off my back. And as a result of him paying what he didn't owe, I get what I didn't deserve, and I get righteousness as a result. That's the gospel. And we should be reminding ourselves that it's the power of Jesus that we get to stand with our head up high. It's not the power of how great we are, how awesome or smart, or any of those things. Um, but we're constantly reminding ourselves of the grace and the gospel of Jesus. Then as a result of that, week two is now that we're free, now that our debts to Jesus and, and our Creator have been paid, uh, what do we get in return? We get love, and we are free to love others, a sacrificial love, to cancel the debts that people have, uh, with us and to love them, to lay down our lives for others, as Jesus would say. And then last week, we, we kind of connected those two dots together, right? And we said, now that we can love others, we can start to build community. We can, we can live inside of a community instead of being isolated. We were never meant to be Lone Ranger Christians. We, we were meant to be in community. And it's only in community that we get to express our gifts. We get to express our talents. The things that you're really good at weren't meant for you to be good at in the mirror by yourself. They were meant to be expressed in a community of people where some people need that gift because they're weak in that area, but they're strong in an area that you're weak in. And so together we're building up each other. We're being what Paul would call the, 
the body. And so we, not only do we need community, but the gospel frees us to actually have real community and to stop showing off for each other. And so today, now that we're, 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 we're kind of zero in, we're in community, I just want to look at this idea that, that we're called to be both imitators and examples. And I want to look in First Thessalonians for this. Um, uh, Thessalonians uh, are the name of the people that live in a city called Thessalonica. Uh, it's in Greece. Uh, so if you if you can imagine a map, you have uh, Italy and Rome. It's the boot, right? And then way to the right of the water is Israel. It's kind of down on the side over here. And there's one little peninsula. It's probably huge as everything. It just looks little on my map. Uh, one little, and that's where Greece is. And Thessalonica and a couple of other cities in the Bible are right there. And so Paul has started or planted a church in Thessalonica and during one of his journeys. And, and they've, they've been followers of Jesus for some time now, several years. You can, you can read about Paul doing that in the book of Acts. And so this letter for, that we call First Thessalonians is a letter from Paul written to the church that he started in this faraway land uh, of Greece in Thessalonica. And he's reminding them of who they were when he showed up and who they became as a result of the gospel. And he's reminding them that as a result of who you became, this is now what is true of you. And this is now what can be known about you. So if you would read with me, I'm going to start in verse one. And we'll just work our way through a few of these passages. Verse one says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Very standard opening for Paul. Paul is writing because he's, uh, he, he names three people. He's saying, hey, on behalf of myself and Sylvanus and Timothy, we're writing you this letter. Uh, he's been traveling with them, so he's, he's not alone. Uh, grace and, and to you and, and peace. Verse 2, he says, we give thanks to God always for uh, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. That's, that's nice. That's a very kind thing to say. Um, you know, just the, the idea would be, you know, you, you have a loved one, you have a family member that you really care about. And when you think, well, I should pray, what should I pray about? It's like, it's the people that you love, the people that you care about. They come to mind first, right? Uh, just a second ago in that second song, I'm, I'm going to speak the name of Jesus to my enemy. I'm going to speak the name of Jesus to my family. Who, who do you think of whenever it's time to pray? You think of those that you love. And Paul's like, man, every time we pray, I, I give thanks to God constantly mentioning you in all of our prayers. Verse three, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This letter opens differently than like, say, first Corinthians. First Corinthians are like, you guys are knuckleheads. Y'all got to figure this thing out, okay? Uh, you, you read some other stuff that Paul, Paul writes to Romans, and like the beginning of Romans is like very cerebral. Like, let's talk like, let's get all philosophical from the, from the starting line. Paul is writing to, to the Thessalonians like, man, I thank God all the time for you. Oh, man, every time I think about you, like what the Lord did in you, oh, yes, that is so good. It's so, so much praiseworthiness right here. Here's, here's a guy, Paul, who is so proud of the church in Thessalonica that he just, he's just like overflowing with it. But, but notice that word in, at the beginning of verse 3, and he's remembering. What, what I want to make an argument for here in a moment is that a lot of, a lot of what Paul's going to say is that he's remembering things that have already happened about them. And then as a result of the past, as a result of what occurred in the past, Paul is going to dream about the future as well with them. What, what is very, very important for a community of believers to do and individuals within that community is to have a really good tool for remembering what the Lord has done and remembering who you were before you knew the Lord 
remembering who you were when you met the Lord, and now thinking about who you are becoming as a result of following the Lord. Paul, he's like, I remember before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. You were, you guys were amazing. If Paul, if Paul were writing about Carpenter's Way, I think he would say things like this. Like, you guys were amazing. Verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, you're, you're loved by God, that he has chosen you. Wow. We know that God chose you. Why? How do you know that? Verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. He said, he said I know, I know that, that God has come to you in power because, because when we preach the gospel, we, we didn't just say things and walk away and hope that it worked. As we were talking uh, about the gospel, as we were telling you the truths about who Jesus is, it came in power. Like He did, he did a big work. Uh, the Holy Spirit moved. You guys were convicted. Okay, let's, let's talk a little bit about who the Thessalonians were before Paul got there. Um, he's going to mention, and we'll read it here in a moment, that they had uh, some idol worshiping happening. They were a pagan nation, uh, and we just use the word pagan in America, 2022. We just think pagan means not Christian, but it's more complicated than that. Um, to be a pagan nation, uh, they, they had each like little circles, little clumps of people, a few hundred, 200, 300, and they just worship random gods. They worship the god of this tree. They have, they have this god of like, you got the, 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 the tavern over there, worship Bacchus, like, hey, we got to have a good God for alcohol and wine. We're going to worship Bacchus over here. And then he had this other God over here. He had little, maybe like ancestor worship. He had a whole family of people that worship their great granddaddy who's been buried for a couple hundred years, but they got a little, little statue of him in the house and they won't like bow down. And so when Paul shows up, it wasn't one monolithic religion in Thessalonica. They had a ton of different thoughts about what uh, uh, truth looks like, what spirituality looks like, what, what uh, power looks like, what right and wrong look like. It was, it was just all over the map. And he says, we just came with one gospel and we preached it to you and something happened. Like you all in agreement, like the ancestor worshipers and the Bacchus worshipers and those other worshipers and the Diana worshipers, they all like abandoned their idols and in conviction turned to the Lord. It was amazing. Don't you guys remember how that happened? Like he, he's not saying, I hope that this happens. He's saying, I remember this happening in your life. That's how I know our gospel did something. That it didn't just come in, in word, but it came in power. And then he adds at the end of that, you know, like I remember that about you, but let's talk about us now. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You, you remember who we were, right? We were, we were kind. We were gentle. Chapter two is all about like us, us, us. Remember how we didn't argue. Remember how we didn't expect you to pay anything. Um, we remember what you were. Please try to remember who we are. And with these two truths in mind, verse six. And it says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I, I put a box around the word imitators. I, I would invite you, if you have your paper Bible, it's going to be hard on your phone, like the box is permanent if you write on your phone, but uh, maybe you put a box or a circle around the word imitators in your Bible. It says, you became imitators of, of us. That, that word imitate, in Greek, uh, right here is the word, I wrote it down because I don't, I can't remember it, but it's, uh, memea. Can, can you guys say memea? Memea. That's, that's, that sounds like the next, uh, uh, Tyler Perry movie, memea. Uh, it's where we get the word, uh, mimic from. 
right? Uh, so in English, we use the word mimic for the Greek word mimea. It says you became imitators of us. He's saying you mimicked us. What Paul is celebrating in that first line is that he's saying, he's saying we came to you and we lived a certain kind of life around you. Uh, our character was X, Y, Z. You remember what that was like. We came to you in that way, right? You remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as we were living this and as we were preaching the gospel and as we were telling you about Jesus and as we, the, the gospel was moving and, and you in great conviction started turning away from false idols and turning towards the one true God, and then you started mimicking us. You started talking the way that we talk. I wonder if Paul had like a lisp or something. And then as people mimicked Paul, he's like, you're imitating me. You know, you're, you're mimicking me. He says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Paul has a big, uh, he loves that word imitate. It's, it's in many of his writings. Be, become imitators of me as I imitate God, he'll say. Uh, become imitators of God uh, and, and so like reveal the, the work of Christ. It's in Romans, it's in 1 Corinthians. He, he, he really, he, he uses his life as an example that's worth imitating. He seems to think that, hey, I'm somebody worth mimicking as long as I'm mimicking Jesus. And as Paul is remembering what happened in Thessalonians, he says, hey, you become imitators of, of us, or you did. You became imitators of us uh, and of the Lord. This is, uh, this is not very different than like how we train people. Um, who, who remembers like getting that first job uh, and you were a knuckleheaded 16-year-old, 18-year-old, and the boss brings you in and just says, listen, don't touch anything. Don't say anything to anybody. Just follow me around for a second, right? Okay, I'm going to flip it in this way, right? Just uh, no, put that down. Like, don't touch that. And we're going to do, do I need to turn the heat up? No, it's, it's going to, it's going to burn it. Just, I'm going to just copy me. And you have like a day or two of just watching the guy do the thing, right? That's how training works. And then, and then the next day it's like, okay, today's the day. I'm going to do one. You're going to do one. I just want you to copy me. And then you flip and you like, it flips off the burner. They're like, no, 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 no. It's like, it's all in the wrist, man. It's just a little in the wrist. It's really just a modern uh, phenomenon that we have uh, like a higher education system. And we think that like because our students are getting the four-year degree, they're trained for whatever job. Before the higher education thing became like the norm, the way it worked was apprenticeships, right? And we still have some apprenticeship. But many of our trades, there's the journeyman and then you got to do this. And you're not just thrown up into like the tower to do the full electrical thing at the refinery until you've had a couple of shocks along the way with... Uh, your training. Why? Because you got to copy those people who have been before you, right? You've got you've to find somebody who's worth, who knows that craft, who knows how to do that thing, and copy them. That's not a bash on higher education. I think it's great. I have a degree. I think it's good to get a degree. But I also wish that I had a mentorship at some point. I never took a mentorship. I know, I know people who get into youth ministry, and before they're the youth pastor, they mentor under another youth pastor. I wish I had that. I, I didn't. Uh, in every craft, you, you copy and you imitate. And Paul is saying, you know, being a follower of Jesus is no different. It's a mistake. And specifically, it's an American mistake that we believe that I'm going to, by myself, read the Bible. And by myself, I'm going to pray. And by myself, I'm going to be enough to myself to be something worth copying by myself, to be a great follower of Jesus. That is not how faith is going to work. What's going to happen is you're going to have blind spots in your faith. You're going to express your gifts, singing in the shower or whatever. And, and all of it is just going to be a muted version of what you could become in a community of believers when you just look around and you're like, you know what? That's somebody worth copying right there. The way that you handled uh, that one stressful situation, that inspired me. 
The way you love your kids, I don't have kids that age yet, but the way that you love your kids, I want to love my kids when they're that age. I, I need to be around people, and you do too, that are worth copying, worth imitating. And Paul's like, man, you guys, you mimicked us and the Lord. And it says that you receive the word in much affliction. He's celebrating that when they receive the word of God, it didn't go great right at first. Imagine what you're telling your dad, who's the ancestor worshiper. And you say, hey, dad, I just I gave my, my heart to Jesus, and uh, I'm going to worship him now. And he looks at you in the eye and he's like, well, what about Grandpa Junior? You know, that doesn't make sense, Grandpa Junior. Grand, 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 Grandpa Fred, what about Grandpa Fred? We've been worshiping him as a family for the last you know, 200 years. You're going to stop worshiping Grandpa Fred? He's like, yeah, I'm going to worship Jesus now. He says, he says that you guys received this truth in much affliction. It caused, it caused a little bit of rub, but there was still power. There's still things happening. Let's keep going. And he says, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I put another box around the word example. If you have your Bible and you're okay writing in your Bible, I would invite you to maybe circle or mark the word example. The word example in, in Greek is the word tupon. Everybody say tupon. This is so good, man. I'm, I'm nerding out. Like I told you, I, I did good in English, and, and I, can, I can do a little other language. Tupon uh, is, is Greek. It's where we get our word type from. Tupon, type, you can kind of hear it, uh, different, different letters. Uh, type, uh, think, think type, think pattern, think example. Uh, when he says that you be, that, that, uh, you became an example to all these other believers, he said, he said other people started copying you. You became something that I would hold up. I would, I would say, look at the Thessalonians or Thessalonians. That's how you say that. Uh, copy them. Be like them. Uh, in, in the, in the U.S. Mint, we have, we have coins, uh, right? And on that coin is, uh, some president, right? Some president's head. And on the back is like a eagle calling and, in God we trust has the year on it. Um, you, you, I think everybody knows this, but this may be earth-shattering to one or two of us. You know that there's not just like a, a, a fleet of squirrels carving each coin individually, right? You know that? No, the, the, the way it works is uh, there's some kind of a press. There's a stamp. In, in the old days, it was a hammer. And the hammer uh, had a reverse of the image on it. The image that you wanted on this coin was already engraved in the hammer, and you would just slam it, and it would slam that silver, and then the imprint of Caesar, whoever, would be on the new coin. If you needed to change the coin, you'd melt it down, make a circle again, and you would slam it in there. Now, now, one of two things can happen. Either the coin imprints on the hammer... That would be bad, you know, so a waste of a good hammer, right? Or the hammer imprints on the coin, which is the way it works. Why does it work that way? Because the hammer's hardened steel. It's a hardened metal. This is a softer metal. It's malleable. It's looking to be changed. This one has already been formed in this way. This, this word, uh, tupon, type, model, pattern, is this idea that you're just you're cranking out copies of yourself. And he says, you became an example to all these other believers for how to live. When I, when I go to Macedonia, when I go to Achaia, they, they look like you because, because you were the example and you imprinted on them. They became imitators of you. Let's, let's keep reading verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. He said, like, your reputation is spreading. I don't even have to talk as much as I used to. It says, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for a son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He's saying, you guys have done such a great job, Thessalonians, that when we go to like some of these neighboring cities, 
they remember how well you received us and they just copy you. You you have become an example to them. So something about really anything in life, whether you like it or not, you are copying someone else. You're looking for things worth imitating, things worth mimicking, but you are also having people follow you. You are an example to them. You don't get to choose whether or not that's true. It just is true. Uh, the thing you get to choose is what you're mimicking and what you're being an example of. Uh, Michelangelo, the not the Ninja Turtle, uh, the the sculptor, uh, the sculptor uh, famously was asked about the uh, the, the statue David. I, I think you guys know David, um, and and uh, it's this amazing work of art, and everybody's just like ooing and on about it. And so someone asked him like Michelangelo, like how. Like, what's the secret to carving something as beautiful as David? And you, you may have heard the quote, and, and I've done some research. I think maybe they, uh, you know, people are like, he probably never said it. But anyway, it's a good quote. He says, he says, well, carving Michael, uh, carving David was, was easy. All you have to do is chip away at all the rock around here that isn't David. And then what's left is David. It's so easy to do. You know, and, and as, as the Lord seems to work is that he's constantly chipping away at us the things in us that aren't of the image of Jesus. He's chipping away at them little by little as that hammer strikes with his image on it so that we become more like him. And it's just slowly we become more like him. And, and Paul is celebrating this truth with the Thessalonians. And so then chapter 2, it opens up. And chapter 2 is like, hey, you guys know like who we were when we came to you. And so it's this whole like story about that first day when Paul and them went there and what they went through and how that looked. He, he kind of goes through that, but we'll end it and uh, we'll skip down to verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, For you know, you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He says, You know, like a, like a dad with his kids. We, we, we urged you as you accepted the gospel that you would walk in a manner worthy of this gospel to which you're called. You know, the American church has forgotten uh, that, that not only is there forgiveness in Jesus, uh, th- I think the American church remembers that, but the American church has forgotten, and we're also called to walk in holiness as a result of that. We should not be satisfied with the parts of ourselves that don't look like Christ. We should be constantly seeking to put those things to, to death. Uh, Paul would later say to crucify the works of the flesh, that we should be constantly seeking to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. And, and so being that example for one another. Verse 13, he picks it up again. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this. Okay, what do you thank God for? That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is, uh, if you're kind of testing out Christianity or if you know someone who is, this is a key difference. Uh, when, when we look at the tenets of the gospel, when we look at these words, we're not, Christians are not wanting to make like a philosophical argument about what could or could not be true. We believe that there's real power in the gospel. I believe, I'll just say it for myself, I believe that I've seen lives changed because Jesus was at work in that person. More than that, let me just be honest with you. I believe that God has changed my life, Jesse's life, because the gospel was at work in me. And it's the power of God at work in the believer that makes the change. See, see, uh, one, one really damaging piece of theology is this idea of, uh, uh, it's sometimes called moral theism, and that is God wants you to change your behavior. 
Uh, and, and people would use that verse I said earlier, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Well, you know, uh, here's what God wants. God wants you to change your behavior, and so you, you, you cuss less, you smoke less, you drink less, and, and you're a little bit nicer to each other. And all of those things are good, but you were never meant to just go at it alone. It's the work of God in you. It's the power of the gospel in you. It's when you, it's when you look in the mirror and you start preaching that gospel back to yourself. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. And I'm tired of this death ruling in my heart. I'm tired of this death ruling in my marriage. Jesus, take this. I almost said Jesus, take the wheel in. Like the whole song would have taken over. Uh, that, that we, we are constantly trusting, not that we have the power to change ourselves just by copying other people, though we should be trying to copy people, but that the work of God uh, is, is at work in us. In verse 14, here comes that word imitator again. He says, for you brothers became imitators, that word mimic, imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you uh, suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. What, a, what an amazing testimony that is, right? You guys suffered just like those people across the water suffered. Praise God. And you're like, wait, wait a second. What, what is this? Um, the, the first thousand times I read this, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, the church in Thessalonica suffered just like the churches in Jerusalem and Judea did. Very interesting. Then I had to like pull up a map to see how far away these things are. Do you have any idea how far away these things are? Like even, even in modern age, like we're email and you can drive around, it is a long ways away. The, the distance, if you just draw a circle, uh, the distance from Thessalonica to Jerusalem is 917 miles. It is closer to 1500 miles if you have to actually take a road. But if you just fly straight line over the waters, 917 miles. So that's, that's a long ways. Uh, let, let's put it in a little perspective. We're in Groves, Texas, Carpenter's Way, right? Uh, I, I, I did some Googling, like how far can I go in 917 miles? If I just took off in any direction, do you know where you can go in 917 miles? It's amazing. Uh, you can make it to Chicago, Illinois. It's under 917 miles. Uh, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, you can uh, make it to Havana, Cuba in under 917 miles. We're closer to Havana, Cuba than the Thessalonians were to Jerusalem when Paul said this. Um, we can make it to almost an entire half of the entire country of Guatemala. We cross through Mexico and enter into Guatemala in under 917 miles. That's, that's amazing. Like that's a long ways away. Um, we can almost make it, I mean, it's just barely the corner of Arizona, which is really funny because I love Texas. Like we can make it to Guatemala, but we can barely make it outside of Texas going that way. <laughs> uh, you, you got Mexico City, Guatemala, but you make it, you can't make it to even Tucson, but, but still 917 miles is a long way. And in a world without internet and cell phones and newspapers, he's saying, you, you didn't know this Thessalonica, but you started mimicking the first church. As, as the word of God moved in your people and in your uh, 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 community, as you started copying others and setting examples to others and it started spreading, you started copying things you weren't even aware of. You started copying the suffering of the first church. You started, you started copying the conflicts, not causing the conflicts, but the conflicts you were experiencing was the same conflicts that the first church was experiencing. And Paul's like, I was there, I know. Here's some really great news, church. Listen. 
there is zero promise that by following the Lord and expressing the gospel and letting the gospel take root in your heart, there is zero promise that you're going to have zero suffering. That is not how the gospel works. In fact, there's a really good chance that the more you trust Jesus, the more it causes a rub with others around you and just there's little elements of conflict and, and issues, but, but you're in good company. You're, you're, you're looking like the first church when you're, when you're experiencing this. So Paul, uh, Paul, as he, as he, says this, it seems to be uh, he wants to draw this, this, this distinction or this uh, two, two sides of the coin. You're going to mimic somebody and you're going to be an example to somebody else. And you choose who you're going to mimic and you choose what elements of you are to be an example, but you don't, you don't even get to choose who to follow. Parents know this well. Sometimes my kids say things. I'm like, where did you hear that from? My, my youngest son, uh, who just turned five, uh, told his mom the other day that he needed to get hydrated. I'm like, why didn't you just say thirsty? He's like, no, I need hydration, dad. Uh, where did you hear that word? Well, he heard it from somebody and he's just using it in a sentence and trying it out. Um, your boss learned how to boss from somebody else. They either are mimicking a good leader or they're mimicking some toxic stuff, right? Maybe they need that, that hammer to come down and chip away a little bit more, but that's not for you to do. They'll just let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Don't, don't, don't get mixed up in that. I want to, I want to close with, with, uh, this is that every single person is both an imitator of someone and an example to someone. You're a mimicker and a pattern. You don't get to choose it, but you get to choose what parts of it are being copied. I hope that you find somebody in Carpenter's way that's worth mimicking. Another dad who's a little bit further along, another mom who's a little bit further along. You're like, I want to, I want to parent that way. Someone who is, is, is new to empty nesting and, and you, you look at them, you're like, I, I, my kids are, are in high school and I just need to know how to empty nest and you just you copy them for a while. Maybe maybe it's someone who has gone through a terrible situation, a health scare or or just a really hard season. And and because they were in community when that happened, you're aware of it. That's a whole other argument about community that we're being real with each other. Um, but because you're aware of it and you saw what the Lord did, then then as you enter day one of that divorce, or you enter day one of that hard conversation, you have this great example to look to. Right, so be be sure of who you're copying. With, with that in mind, I, I just want three thoughts: is the one that you choose someone that is worth imitating. Uh, two is that you highlight something in you that's worth duplicating. Uh, there should be things in you that that you've seen the Lord do, and you you want to you want to maybe have that conversation with your children, have that conversation in your small group and your community group. Like, hey guys, uh, I've really been convicted in the last week or two of uh, my prayer life wasn't what it should be, and I I want I want to see us all be praying more about things. And so maybe we can set an alarm or whatever, just as an example that you're trying to duplicate something that the Lord is doing in you. And then three, there are some things that we're setting a pattern for that they're not of the Lord. They're of our trauma. They're of our childhood. And you need to be honest about what those things are, that anger, whatever it is, and that, that, that you're, you're, letting, you're, you're, you're doing what you can to stop it. You're giving it to the Lord. You're, you're, just, you're just trusting him with it. Um, before we close uh, with prayer, I just, it seems to me that as Paul was doing this, he used people's stories to, to kind of unlock these truths. He reminded the Thessalonians of who they were before Jesus and who they were after. He reminded them of the time that the Thessalonians heard the gospel. Paul talked about his testimonies, like this is what it was like when we came to you, and this is what it was like now. And what, what I want to do is see uh, a group in Carpenter's Way that is so comfortable telling the story of what God has done in their life, to tell of uh, the grace and truth that has been expressed in their life. What, what some church 
people would call their testimony. I want you to be skilled and able to give your testimony. And so um, something that I'm announcing for the first time uh, is uh, this book right here. Uh, it's a workbook. Uh, if you've never shared your testimony at all, uh, you just start on page one and work your way through. By the time you're done, you will have written out your testimony. If you're like, I don't even know, like, what is my testimony? I need, I need help thinking through that. This, this book is meant to help you develop that testimony. And as a result of you knowing your testimony, then you share that with people as Paul did. And, and they're going to be introduced to the same power of the gospel at work. And so if you're interested in this, um, there's, you can fill out a yes card or I'll just leave it here and you scan the code. Um, you can, you can grab a copy of that. Let me pray. And then we will watch the cue together. This week, let's, let's imitate somebody worth imitating, and let's be an example worth following. Father, uh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you uh, for the example. Uh, we thank you that Paul had some joy for a group of people. Um, may, may we be a group of people that brings you joy, uh, that you would stand as an example of what it's like to follow you, what it's like to let the, the gospel move in power amongst your people. I thank you, Father, for the, for the stories of your grace and truth as they've been expressed uh, already in Carpenter's Way. And um, Lord, I, I pray that as we, uh, as we take steps forward, that we would be mindful that we're not in a vacuum, that we'd be mindful of uh, finding people in our community worth copying, that we'd be mindful of the things in us that are being mimicked by others. May we, may we put our hands on the reins a little bit, and uh, point others towards you in as much as our power can let us. Um, Father, forgive us for where we fall short, and uh, let your power um, transform our behavior uh, more, than, more than us transforming our behavior. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would, uh, you would grow our, our community, our, our city, uh, to know you more and to, to be followers of you based on the example that they see in us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.